after Brandon Hutchins flashed the crowd trying to take his shirt off. So for those of you that are here, I, you want to be here. You made a commitment to it. Let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll get started. Father God, we do thank you, Lord, so much for this time, this day. I thank you for this body that you've gathered. Uh, Lord, I do pray this. I know that we come in uh, in different states, uh, different places. Lord, I do pray that wherever we are, that you would breathe life into us, that you would move through us, Lord, that you would be free uh, to have unencumbered access. Lord, I pray that uh, blockages would be removed, that gasping would be healed. And Lord, I pray most of all, Lord, that you would just simply have your way in our lives, that you would have your way in this place, and that we would, we would truly become, Lord, a church that's fully alive for you. Lord, bless this time, bless this day. It's in your awesome name we pray. Amen. I'm a, uh, a, a school administrator by trade. And we just gave out our midterm report cards and progress reports. And, you know, you put the comments in there. They usually have the drop box. You can select from all these different comments. You have the nice ones up top, pleasure to have in class. You have, you know, works well with others, shares, all of those things. These are some other comments that, that were actually posted on student report cards. Yeah, I think Jim Cagle put some of these on my report card when I was in high school. But these are actual, I know Whit Smith received some of these. These are actual comments on report cards. I'm not saying it was Marietta City Schools or Marietta Middle School, Walsh Mountain Middle School. I'm not sure where it was. Actual comments, and they say this. Since my last report, your child has reached rock bottom and started to dig. Now, by the way, if any of these hit close to home with you, I'm sorry. If you start to identify with them, totally unintentional. We're trying to protect the innocent. It says, uh, I would, this one's a little harsh, I would not allow this student to breathe, ever. <laughs> Your child has delusions of adequacy. <laughs> says, Your child is depriving a village somewhere of its idiot. That's a little harsh. My mom's back there nodding her head. Yes, they did. Your son sets low personal standards and then consistently fails to achieve them. <laughs> Your student has a full six-pack but lacks the plastic thingy that holds it together. <laughs> the wheel is turning, but the hamster is dead. <laughs> this one's, again, a little harsh. When your daughter's IQ reaches 50, she should sell. Again, not your kids, obviously not yours. Your child's been working with rubber scent too much, rubber cement too much. And then my favorite, I was stumped on why your son was so dumb and struggled so much in school until our parent conference last week. <laughs> Anybody want to claim any of those? Anybody want to walk in that and just own it and say, certainly not your kid. I think this, I think that we... If we step back and did the same thing, if we had a progress report on our life, spiritually, emotionally, physically, if we step back and said, this is where I am, honestly, and kind of looked at it, what would that look like? What would we get? What kind of comments? What kind of feedback would we get off of it? I think that's when you start looking at, at, at all those comments. Most of the time, you don't see that on a report card. Your kid's dumb. Your kid should drop out. Your kid shouldn't breathe. You don't get those on report cards. Most often, we kind of package it and couch it in a little bit nicer, more friendly, more loving and caring tone. And we kind of we group it under this big, big heading of, of potential. 
your kid's not living up to his potential. He has great potential. We usually preface it with some kind of nice comment. Johnny's very good at lunch. Johnny's very good at recess. Johnny's very good at playing with crayons. And then we usually ended up at the back side of that with bless his little heart. Or bless her, well, she's so sweet, bless her little heart, she's, she's trying, she has so much potential. He has so much potential, but he's not quite living up to it. He's not quite filling it out. And I think spiritually, if you kind of work your way through it, and, and I'll say this, as I was kind of reading through this and planning this week, I got hit in the face with a sledgehammer, so this is as much for me as it is for you, maybe more so for me than it is for you. And if you're doing well, if you're just fully alive and engaged and thriving and you feel like the Spirit's really moving in you and moving through you and your life's got this amazing fruit, then, then you can check out for the next 25 or so minutes. If you would say, I'm not quite there, I can't put my finger on it, something's a little bit off. You know, I'll come home sometimes and my wife, you know, she's like, what's, what's going on? You look like something's bothering you. What are you struggling with? And, and I can't articulate it. It's not that I don't want to. It's not that I'm trying to shut down. I just can't put my finger on exactly what it is and say, well, it's, it's this. But I just know that there's something there that's just a little bit off, that's not, not quite fully engaged and quite fully alive. So if you are thriving, living the dream, going for it, that, that, then you can check out or even beat the crowd over to New York Deli and get an early start on it. For the rest of us that are kind of in the same boat of it could be a little bit better, you may be just off by a fraction of an inch. It may be missing just a little bit. You may be miles away, and your life is almost in train wreck mode. But for the left, rest of us that are kind of in that package of it could be a little bit better, let's stop back and say, how come my potential isn't quite being realized? How come I'm not quite living up to potential and getting those high marks on the progress report in the spiritual life? And I know for me, I have all this great stuff. I have a, a beautiful bride, fantastic bride. I have this great pseudo ranch house with a bingo grid on the front in this great neighborhood, and it's just awesome. And I have, I have 2.3 kids, and I have a great job, and, and I have friends, at least two, and I, and I have all these great things in my life. And I still look at it, and I say, something's, something's just a little bit off. I'm kind of bound up by this, this fear and this anxiety. My biggest fear right now is that I'm going to ruin my boys. I'm going to ruin my kids' lives. I'm going to say something or do something, and I'm going to absolutely drop the ball. And next thing you know, they're robbing convenience stores, and they're selling drugs, and it's just, that's going to be me. Like a couple, I've been building this thing up for a month. I'm going to take my boy, because nothing says responsible parent, I'm going to take my son, two-year-old, to the monster truck rally jam show. Because that's where a two-year-old needs to be. And so I've been selling this thing, and i got a big pack of people, and we're all going to go and take their kids down to the Monster Truck Rally Jam Show, and it's going to be awesome. We even got the little headset or headphones for them to cover them up because bleeding ears are bad for a two-year-old. It's going to be great. Building this thing up for a month. It's going to be fantastic. Week before, about the Tuesday before the Saturday Monster Jam, realized I hadn't bought tickets yet. Now, who in America would think that they're going to sell 70,000 tickets to the Monster Jam truck rally at the Georgia Dome? You would, you'd buy that? Did you go? You wanted to go, didn't you? They sold out. I found that out. They sold out. So I've been building this thing up for a month. And my friends have been building up with their kids. We're going to the Monster Truck Rally. Oh! Call to get tickets. Sold out. I have absolutely ruined my kid's life. Ruined him. He's going to be done, and he's going to be on TV. He's the next guy with his shirt off getting arrested on cops. That's going to be my son because I didn't take him to the monster truck rally. 
and I think there's this totally unrealistic fear and anxiety that, that I'm going to drop the ball. I think the real, reality of it is this. I get down into the, am I good enough? Am I adequate enough? Do, do, do I have what it takes to be a good dad, to speak life into my kid? And I'm just kind of bound up with that fear. I think part of it is this also. I think we're afraid of, I'm going to be found out. I'm going to be, I want to put this great image up. I want to put this great front up. I want to act like I have it together, like I'm father, and, and I'm afraid I'm going to be found out. And I'm afraid that it's going to be revealed to me. And so I live in fear and anxiety. I have this hesitation. Maybe, maybe for some of us, it's anger. Maybe you've just been hanging on to this anger, and you can't quite get past it. You can't, can't quite shake it. Maybe it's from your childhood. Maybe it's from a divorce. Maybe it's from the loss of a child. You've got this anger and this frustration that you can't quite work through, and you realize, I can't quite become all I'm supposed to be. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe I'm envious of my friend's stuff. I'm, I'm envious of what my neighbor has. I'm envious of what my brother has. And, and I can't get quite past that. Some of us, maybe it's even worse. Maybe it's just absolute apathy and indifference. You, you've just checked out. In your marriage, you've just checked out. With your family, you've just checked out. It's not even that you're angry. It's not even that you're mad. It's not even that you're, you're confused. You've just checked out and said, you know what? I'm out. I, I, I can't do this anymore. And you show up. You're there. You walk in. You walk out. You move through. But you're not there. You're not engaged. You're not light. Some of us, maybe it's even worse. Maybe even start thinking, I get towards that middle age time. I had this moment of clarity and realization, by the way. I started thinking through this, and I'm working through, all right, maybe it's a midlife crisis thing. And midlife, and I started thinking in my head, am I going to have a midlife crisis? And no, I'll, I'll never. When I get to that point, I'll never have a midlife crisis. And at that moment, I got hit with, uh, you're old, you're already at midlife, and so if you're going to have a crisis, it's going to be now. And for some of us, it's this matter of, am I going to get a new car? Or am I, I going to get a tattoo? Because that, that'll fix it. I, I'm, I'm 40 years old. I'll get a tattoo. There's a good call. Or, or maybe it's, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to recapture my youth, and so I'm going to dress like my teenage daughter. We can, sh we can share. It'll be great. And there's a time where you've got to move on. You've got to move past. And so there's this indifference. There's this discontent. Maybe it even goes deeper than that. Maybe, maybe it's adultery. Maybe you're trapped in something much deeper. Maybe it's fraud. Maybe you're embezzling. Maybe, I don't know. But you look at it and you realize, I'm either this far off or I'm miles away from it, but something just isn't right. What, what I'm called to be, what I'm supposed to be, what I should be, is miles from the reality of what it is. I, I think this. Brennan Manning puts it like this. He says that your life is a voucher that gains its value and worth only through its redemption. And not redemption by the current holder or user, but redemption by the one that crafted the voucher in the first place. And so the only way that our real life, our, our life has its meaning and its value and it comes to its full utility and usage is when we allow the one who made it in the first place to blow through it, to move through it. On the, on the, on the wall up here, there's a poem by a 14th century Sufi mystic. Don't hold that against him. Uh, his, guy, his name was Hafez. And, and basically he said this, my, my life is a hole in a flute through which the Christ breath flows. Come and listen to the music. And, and I think this, if that's my life, if, if the Christ breath flows through me and in me and out of me unencumbered, that's full redemption of the voucher. And I know this for me right now, I'm not full redemption of the voucher. I, I know I've got a faulty read. I know at times 
I don't allow myself just to be a hole through which his breath flows. I try to control the music. I try to control how much breath comes through. I try to control exactly how many notes we hit and how the notes are played and what sequence they go. So instead of just being this, this tool, this ve vehicle or vessel through which this breath is going to flow and bring this sweet music into the world, I try to control and manipulate it, and I fail to live up to the fullness of my potential. And so I, I think what, he, what he's saying is, get out of the way. Get out of the way. Get your anger out of the way. Get your jealousy out of the way. Get your pettiness out of the way. Get your fear out of the way. He's saying, get you out of the way. And let me move through you. Let me move in you. Let me do what I want to do in your life and through your life. And so if we're going to do that, if we're truly going to have full redemption in this voucher, let's look at a couple passages. Genesis 2, uh, starting in verse 4, going down through 7, says this. This is Adam coming alive. This is the count of the heavens and the earth when they were created. It said, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then verse 7 says, And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Before Adam became fully alive, Adam was a form. Adam was a structure. Adam was a body of potential. And it wasn't until the Christ that God breathed life into him that he became fully alive, that he became fully involved. And so I think we can have this great structure. We can have this, I've got this great marriage. It looks like it should look. We have a nice house. We, we, we look right in public. We speak right to each other in public. Everything should be right, but there's something that's just not clicking. There's something that's just a little bit off, that's disconnected. And that's because he isn't in it. He isn't blowing through it. He isn't breathing life through it. If you go to Ezekiel 37, and we go verses 1 through 10, it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out of the, and the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many of the bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, Prophecy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. He says, I'll make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin, and I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. And then you will know that I'm the Lord. And then in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, all the disciples had gathered in the upper room, and says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came, and heaven came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The disciples, they walked with them for three and a half years. They'd been with them for three and a half years three, three and a half years, and right at the end of that time, right when he's getting crucified, right at the end game at the critical mass moment, all of them failed. All of them buckled. All of them walked away. You, you think about Peter. You know, Peter was the, I'm for you. No matter what happens, I'm for you. I'm going to cut off an ear when the guards come to get you. I am 100% for you. I am in. And at the critical mass moment, three times he says, I don't know this guy. 
I don't know this guy. I'm not even with this guy. Leave me alone. And then Christ says to him, I choose you, Peter. I want you to come back. And in Acts 2, what you see is this. You see disciples go from men of great potential, men of great possibility, men of great opportunity, to becoming men of great action, men of great substance, men who breathe life into the lives of others. And the difference is this. is When the Holy Spirit comes, when the Holy Spirit shows up and breathes life into these men, they change from potential to fulfillment. They, they change from a voucher capable of good redemption to a fully redeemed voucher that's used in real, tangible, positive ways. And so if we want to become that full potential, we want to reach that full potential, I think that there, there are a couple steps, practical steps, that need to happen. And one is, I think that there's a certain degree of positional relationship involved. I think you have to be in the right position. I think if you look at, and, and let, me, maybe, let me make sure we clarify that, position has nothing to do with geography. Position has nothing to do with the physical space that you're standing. It, it's more about egoography. It's more about where your heart is. It's more about where your mind is, where your self is, where, you, where your soul is. It's about where you put yourself in relationship to him. And so I think the first part of being in the right position is you have to come to a place of dependency. You have to come to a place where you recognize and realize that you aren't the end-all, be-all of existence, that you yourself are part of a much bigger thing that's going on. He thinks that you have great value. He thinks that you're a knockout. He thinks the world of you. But you, in and of yourself, you aren't the end-all, be-all to the whole plan. You're part of the plan that he wants to use and move through. And so you come to a place of dependency where you say to yourself, I've tried. I, I've tried doing this on my own, and I've had pretty good results. I've had pretty fair, pretty fair life here. I've done some good things. I've gone on some trips. I've served some people. I've had a pretty good life. But at the end of the day, I still find there's something a little bit off. Maybe you look at it and you realize, I've made a complete mess of it. Choices I've made, actions I've taken, things I've chosen to engage in and give my life to, I've made a complete mess of it and dropped the ball. I've absolutely just sunk it up. And you say, I'm not willing to do that anymore. So whether you're on the good side of, I've done a lot of good things, and yet there's still something a little bit off, or on the other side of it, you say, I've totally stunk the place up, and it's still, it's still not making any sense. I've tried everything I can to substitute for it. I've gotten money. I've gotten position. I've gotten status. I've gotten a marriage. I've gotten kids. And everything I've tried to make it fill up and work, it's just not getting it done. And so I think you come to this place of dependency where you realize it's not about me. There's something bigger going on. There's something more to it. And you come to a place of dependency. I think the second thing is you come to a place of petition. You come to a place where because you realize I can't do it on my own, you start asking. And you say, Lord, I've tried. And, and I've worked at it. And I've tried to make it better. And I've tried these things to make And I think I've done a decent job. You say, Lord, I need you. You come to a place, and I think this is the third part of desperation, where, you're, where your desperation is greater than your dignity. You're, you're not willing to sit in the same place. You're not willing to try to keep up this facade or image anymore. You come to this place of great desperation where you say, I can't make it another step. I can't make it another day. I can't take another breath unless you're the breath I'm taking. I think ultimately at the end of the day, that's the deal. What he would say to you is this. He would say, 
I want to be your breath. I want to be what you breathe in. I want to be what you read. I want to be what you, what you ingest. I want to be what you put your life in positions of encounter with. I want to be what you take in. And then in return, I want you to be my exhale. I want your life to be my exhale. I want your life to be what other people breathe in. And so you come to a place of, of dependency. I can't do this on my own. You come to a place of petition where you say, Lord, I need you. And you come to a place of desperation where you say, I can't make it on my own. I can't make it one more day, one more step. If you think about the disciples, the disciples went from being good guys who were following, who were trying to do the right things, who really kind of believed in the critical mass moment failed. And then when the Holy Spirit came upon them and breathed life into them, I love the language of it. In, in, in chapter 2 in Acts, it says, and Peter stood up. If you go back to the moment of weakness and fracture and brokenness where he said, I don't even know that guy, it says that he sat down. He was sitting by a fire. When he gets to Acts chapter 2, when he's filled with the Holy Spirit, it says that Peter stood up among them and boldly proclaimed. And so you come to this point of desperation where you say, I can't make it one more step, one more day. And I want to be what other people take in. I want, I want to be your exhale and breathe life into others. I think the other part of it is this. If you're full of yourself, you can't be full of him. It's, it's a mutually exclusive thing. If you're full of yourself, you can't be full of him. And if you're full of him, you can't be full of yourself. It doesn't work. It's a totally opposite end, opposite end proposition. And so if I'm full of myself, and that doesn't necessarily mean Bad doesn't mean you're this egomaniac that's running around beating your chest, swinging from vines, saying, look at me, I'm awesome. All it simply means is I'm so concerned about what's happening in my life that I'm not willing or, or able to allow him to move through my life. I'm worried about making the right paycheck. I'm worried about getting in the right clubs. I'm worried about finding the white right, white, right wife. I'm worried about having good kids and not messing them up so they don't appear on top. I, I, I'm worried about self. Am I good enough? Am I strong enough? Am I capable? Am I willing? And as long as I'm consumed with self, I can't be filled with him. It's like somebody trying to give you CPR and you've got a blockage in your throat. He can't breathe into you when you're choking on yourself. And on the opposite end of that, if I'm going to be full of him, there's no room for me. I simply become part of what he's doing. I simply become fully alive and fully engaged because my life is spent and invested and given to what he's doing. And so I think a part of it then is that self-examination, that self-awareness of what is it that I'm full of. You're going to be full of something, and, and this is family-friendly. My wife tells me that all the time. You're going to be full of something. It's just a matter of what you're full of. I think this. If you're not living best, fully engaged life, then you're not living the life that he's called you into or moving you into. He, he, he's not a God of, 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 of different models of cars. If I go out and get a new car, I can choose from the different trim packages. I can get the, the limited edition that may have the radio, maybe air conditioning, may, maybe power windows, maybe not. I don't even make crank windows anymore. I can get the limited edition. I can get the XL package and, and kind of upgrade, go up a step and get a little bit more to it, get a couple more features. Or I can go with the super deluxe package with the leather and the air conditioning and the multiple DV screens, DVD screens and the holograms and all. I can get all of it. 
God's not a, he's not a God of multiple packages. He's a God of one package. He's a God of best. And it also says that he's no respecter of man. What that means is, it means that he's not going to pick and choose who he chooses to give favor to. He's not going to pick and choose and say, I like you more than him, so I'm going to give you the deluxe package and let you take the limited eight-track tape package over here. He's a God of best. And so he says that if you're going to be fully alive and fully engaged, you're going to have my best. You're going to walk in my best. But you can't have it if you're consumed with self. And so the difference between potential and fulfillment is am I allowing him to breathe through me? Am I placing myself positionally in terms of my heart and my emotions and the relationships that I'm in? Am I placing myself positionally in a place of encounter where he can breathe his life into me, where he can speak his words into me, where his Holy Spirit can move in my life in a real, powerful, substantial way to bring me beyond myself, where he truly becomes my life. I think the result of it is this. I love the progression in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 1, they're sitting there and they're all looking around like, okay, he's going up, he's ascending, and they're asking each other, what do we do now? Where do we go? We thought he was going to come back. What do we do now? And in Acts 1, it says this. It says, wait. It says, tarry there. Go and gather. Go and be in community. Go and sit there, but wait for what he's going to do. Acts chapter 2, they're gathered in the upper room, and it says, that, that like a rushing wind, it fell on the room, and they were filled with the Spirit. And, and instantly they went out, and they spoke in languages they didn't know. They became people that were hiding, from, came from people that were hiding in a room because they were scared, to people standing in the middle of masses saying, here's the truth. That, that's Acts, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 3, it talks about how they're bringing people out in the streets as Peter and John walk by, so that even their shadow could touch them and change their lives and heal their lives. In Acts chapter 4, it says they could tell that these men had been with Jesus. They go from cowering in an upper room to having his life breath, his spirit move in them and through them to where they literally became his exhale in a place that was gasping for air, in a place that was nothing but dry bones, in a place that was desolate, in a place that was wiped out. He became, they became, his breath. And then finally in Acts chapter 17 it says this. It says, they've gone from they could tell they've been with Jesus. They went from, okay, let's lay out here. Let's bring some bodies out on the side so that maybe their shadow can pass over them. They went from that to in Acts chapter 17 those men that have shaken the world. Those men that have turned the world upside down have now come here. That's the result. The result, the result of living a, a life-filled, breath-filled, Holy Spirit-filled life is you become a climate-changing, atmosphere-changing Christian. You go from being a guy in a room who's nice and has good manners, a guy in the room who, who, who is friendly and engaging, to a guy in the room or a gal in the room that's a life-changing, Holy Spirit-driven Christian. And so what he says is, I want to do that in you. I want to do that through you. And I think we all fall back on, I, I do, we all fall back on the, but I'm afraid, but I'm anxious. I think some of us try to take God off the hook. What if he doesn't? He says he's going to. He says he's going to move in me. He says he's going to do great things in me. And, and we get a little worried that we're going to hurt his reputation. 
we, we get a little worried that we're going to step on his toes or that he may not come through in the way that we want him to or the way that we think that he might. And so we kind of let him off the hook and we, we don't fully jump in. We don't fully engage. We don't fully rely that he can do what he says that he's going to do. He wants to do what he says he can do and he's going to do what he says he can do. And so we don't fully engage with it. And I, I think he would say this. I'm bigger than your fear. I'm bigger than your reservation. I'm bigger than your anxiety. I'm bigger than your limitations. I think he would say simply, fall on me. He'd say, fall on me. Some of us in here today, this morning, this week, we got a heart that's hurting. We got a heart that's, that's, that, that's, let's be honest, a little messy, a little stinky. We've got complicated relationships. We've got heartbreak. We've, we, we've found out that, 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 that something fell through in our life that we were wanting, whether, whether it's a, a pregnancy or it's a job or it's a relationship. We, we've got some folks that are here that are in, in, in rough places. We have some folks here that are in great places, that, are moment, that at this moment are happy, that are alive, that are engaged. I think the, the, the same thing is true to all of us. He would say like he told the disciples in Acts 1, wait for me carry there and watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to show up. I'm going to move in a real way. If you keep going down, it says this. Why, why, why have I been rescued? Why, why has he come to fill me? Why has he come to breathe his life into me? I think Philippians 2.7 gives the picture of what we're supposed to do with that filling. In, in Philippians 2.7, it talks of this great picture or image of Jesus and who he was and what his life was all about and what he did. And it says that, that he poured himself out, that he emptied himself out. The, the, the word for that is kenosis or echinosin, which means to be emptied or poured out. It means that I've given all. And so it says of, of the Christ, it says of the Christ's breath, it says that he emptied himself, that he poured himself out. And I think the challenge for us, the call for us in that same situation is, to do likewise. He's filling us with his spirit. He's filling us with his breath to pour out, to invest, to empty, to breathe life into others. And some of us do that exceptionally well, exceedingly well. Some of us are great investors. Some of us are great breathers of life. And some of us are afraid. And I, but I think that, that fear comes back to the same thing. If I go to encourage someone, if I go to speak to someone, if I try to comfort someone, is what I say going to be good enough? Are my words going to be good enough? Is my presence going to be good? What if they think I'm weird? What if I go up to the square, on, I see somebody hurting on the square, and I go up to them and I say, you know, I look notion a little bit down, you mind if I pray? What if they think I'm weird? They might. What if they run away? They might. I think he would say, I'm bigger than that. I'm bigger than that. Your, your job is to, is to not make it look good. Your job is not to package it in a very attractive way. Your job is simply to go. Your job is simply to do. And I think when we hear that, emptying and sloughing off and pouring out, and we hear that idea of investing regardless of the cost, I think we get these images of, I've got to go to Africa. Or, or I've got to go to Haiti. Or I've got to sell my stuff and go give it to somebody on the street. I gotta do like the lottery winners in Nova Scotia and give away eleven million dollars because well, I don't have any use for it. I've got a use for it. But I don't I don't think that's the call. The call isn't for everybody to go to Africa because there'd be nobody here. The call isn't for everybody to go to Haiti. For some people it is. 
Your call is simply this, where you are. Positionally where you are, not about geography, allow him to use you and breathe through you. Whether it's your work and your marriage and your family, we go back, I go back to the first part of it. So, some of us are dull. Not like the student report card. Some of us are dull from the standpoint of we've just checked out and we're not engaged. For you, being filled and being breathed means you're meant to be breathed to your family. My wife, her birthday was a couple weeks ago, and I, and I asked her, what can I get you? I'm sitting here thinking, I'm about to lose a lot of money. I'm going to have to like sell a kidney to go get her a gift. I don't know what it's going to take. And, and I said, what do you want me to give you? What do you, you want a ring? You want some, some clothes? And she said, all I want you to give me are your words. She said, I need your words. And so I gave her words. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't write well. I don't think well. I don't speak well. She said, I just want your words. And I think some of our wives, some of our husbands are crying out and saying the same thing. I need your words. I need your encouragement. I need you to breathe into me with your words. Some of us, it's our kids. Your kids are desperately crying out, I need your presence. I don't need you to work extra hours. I don't need you to go travel overseas to make more money so we can have a beach house. I need your presence. I need you to be in this house with me playing catch. I need you to be in this house with me so we can have a tea party. But I, I just need you in your presence. I need your words. People in your work are saying, I just need consistency. A couple years ago when I was, I was teaching in another school, I, I kept having this recurring dream. And the, and the dream I kept having was this, that I'm standing in the middle of my classroom with, with all my students in the room, and, and all of a sudden they just start swirling. Like a big tornado is coming in the room, and it's just spinning them around, and it's slinging them up against the walls, and there's carnage, and the desks are flying everywhere. And in the dream, as I kept having it, what I noticed was the only thing that wasn't swirling in the room, the only thing that wasn't moving was me, and I was standing in the middle with all of it swirling around me. And what I realized was this. I had so much inconsistency in my life. I was so all over the yard that, that my students and the people in my life had no solid ground to stand on. That there was nothing they could hang on to. There was no consistency, and so they were just getting destroyed by my lack of focus and clarity. And I think for some of us in our workplace, maybe it's in our families, we just need consistency. We just need to know where you stand. And so... Wherever it is with you, I think that if you go to the picture of, and this one's tough, I think if you go to the picture of, of, of Mary, and, and Jesus is sitting at the home, and he's all these highfalutin dignitaries are sitting in there with him, and, 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 and Mary comes walking in with an alabaster jar. And she walks in, doesn't care about propriety, doesn't care about protocol, doesn't care about whose house it is. She walks in, and all she says is, I need to get to him. I need to go where he is. I know what he's done in my life. He's changed my life. He's radically altered the trajectory of my life. I need to get to him and show him, here's what you've done for me. And so because he breathes into her, she comes into this house with all these people sitting around, makes no sense, the most expensive thing she owns, this jar of, of perfume, and she pours it out all over. And as she's pouring it out on his feet, she's sobbing. She's just sobbing. And it's this mixture of perfume and tears and snot. And it's just all over him. And it's just this goo, this, this stuff. And she's taking her hair and she's wiping his feet with it. And she's saying, 
I don't care what it takes. I don't care what it costs me. I want you to know that everything that's in me is for everything that's in you. Because you breathe life into me, I give my life to you. And so I think as we go down, Psalm 39, 4-5 says, Let me know how fleeting my life is. You've made my days a mere handbreadth. My life is but a breath. I think the challenge there is this. Let my life that's but a breath be his breath. Let my life that's but a breath be his breath. Use me to breathe life, to speak truth, to speak healing, to speak wholeness. Let me use, use my life to do that. And I think this. I think some of us right now, we're gasping. Some of us right now, we're taking these short breaths and we're trying to get to the next one. We're trying to get to the next day. We're just trying. I can't, I can't wait for the weekend. Anybody play the I can't wait game? If I can just make it to the weekend, then I can get some sleep and I can catch up and I can recover. Some of us play the if I can just get to the summer, if I can just get to spring break, if I can just get to the next vacation. We play the if I can just game. And the whole time we're playing that if I can just get their game, we're missing the life that's in between. We weren't meant to live a life with vacation destinations. Moments of life, moments where we feel them breathing and moving in us and working through us, that's not supposed to be a vacation destination. That's supposed to be life. And so let my breath, this brief breath that you've given me, let it be yours. And some of us are trying to get CPR from folks that are in the middle of an asthma attack. Some, some of us are needing breath and we're placing ourselves in positions where the only people we're associating with are other people that need CPR. And, and so we can't get the breath that we need. We can't get the healing that we need because we're placing ourselves in positions and, and with people who are in the same boat. And so I think a part of it is placing yourself in position and in contact with people who can breathe life into you, who can speak truth into you. And I, I'm going to stop it with that. There's a couple more things. I, I, I want to stop it with that. And I think Wade, who's doing music? Wade? I'm sorry? Wrong name? I'm sorry. He's going to come up. I think bottom line is this. If you got real with yourself, if you gave yourself a life spiritual progress support right now, where would you fall? Would, would you get that classic full of potential, but not quite? Maybe you get the bless your heart on it. Maybe you get the does well at lunch, does well in, in PE. Maybe you get the little comment of does a good job in community service, but, but not reaching full potential. Maybe you get the, maybe you get the, it seems distracted. Maybe you get the, seems like they have divided attention or divided. Maybe you get the doesn't work well with others. Maybe you get the doesn't share well. Or maybe you get the absolutely full-on, engaged, launched, going for it. But if you gave yourself an honest, get down to it, strip it down to, to, to its core progress report, where, where do you find yourself? And so I think they're, Tim, the prayer team, uh, the prayer teams are going to come up and, and be in the front on the side. I think there's a couple folks here, a couple